another episode of Assurance in Action. Before we get started on this week's episode covering food fraud and defense, I would like to mention our upcoming Food for Thought webinar series. Are you interested in learning more about food news and industry updates? The Food for Thought webinar series. Uh, today I have with me David Mule, uh, an expert in food management systems. David, uh, what is your background in food management systems? Thanks, Seth. Uh, essentially, I have a lead auditor background in, um, in FSSC and some of the GFSI standards background. Uh, also, I've owned, um, personally owned my own food business for about 10 years. Uh, we started a, uh, a small hot sauce business and uh, had to go through all the hoops with uh, the food and and management standards associated with that, including HACCP and uh, all of the other risk management activities associated with food. So uh, today our topic is going to be food fraud. Um, Now, food fraud is a hot-button issue today. Um, Could you give us an idea as to what food fraud is? Sure. Um, Food fraud is, is really a collective term used to encompass the deliberate an intentional substitution, uh, addition, tampering, or misrepresentation of food or food ingredients or packaging, or even false or misleading statements made about the product. And the important item here is that it is all done for economic gain. Okay, so there's a there's a reason that this food fraud would happen. It's for financial or economic gain. The standards in the food world talk a little bit about what's called economically motivated adulteration, or EMA. You'll see that word used quite a bit in food fraud. And EMA is the fraudulent intentional substitution or addition of, of, of a substance in a product for the purpose of increasing the apparent value of the product or reducing the cost of its production. So if you take the two bullets out of there, increasing apparent value and reducing production costs, both are associated with economic gain. This seems like a pretty disturbing trend, deceiving the consumer. Um, are there any examples? Yeah, there's there's examples happening all the time. This is uh, really not a new issue with uh, food fraud. It's only becoming more visible, uh, certainly with social media, but you know, the big big examples are food factories, um, documented case in Asia, labeling cooking oil as peanut and olive oil. And as we all know, peanut and olive oil is much more expensive than cooking oil. So there you go again. There's an example of, you know, uh, fraud to increase profit. Contaminated infant formula was a big issue. Melamine used as a nitrogen source to increase measured protein content of milk. So there's deception involved using a cheaper ingredient, again, for economic gain. Uh, We've had issues in the U.S. with mislabeling of fish, which some estimates are close to one-third of all retail fish is mislabeled. And again, if you think about the intent there, it's putting a cheaper fish, maybe a white fish, on the market and calling it something uh, something else that has a higher uh, retail value. Uh, examples in Italy with buffalo mozzarella being made, and in fact, they found that they were using cow's milk. So, you know, having something unique like buffalo mozzarella, people pay a lot more money for, 
However, now we start using cow's milk and production costs are down. And everybody's heard the other uh, scenarios with horse meat mixed with bull meat to make up quantity shortfalls. So where production uh, production shortfalls on beef um, get, you know, the, maybe mincemeat and other things like that, they start to integrate other sources of meat that, um, you know, consumers not willing to pay for and uh, just to make up shortfalls. So you can see there's a lot of examples of, of this and it's, again, it's nothing new in the industry. I think we're just hearing more about it. We had spoken before regarding um, kind of the difference between food fraud and food safety. Um, could you actually just go into that a little bit more uh, just, just because there, there is a distinct difference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, food safety itself. So if we look at the difference between food safety and food fraud, so food safety focuses on the unintentional contamination of food by known ingredients, organisms, mishandling or processing. So that, that's in day-to-day operations and organizations. They, with all good intentions, in a lot of the food manufacturing facilities, there's always a potential for contamination or mishandling or some type of unplanned event. And it is certainly unintentional. Nobody's perfect. And you hope that the management systems they have in place will actually be able to capture, contain, and, uh, and control that activity. Food fraud, on the other hand, it differs since it is an intentional act. So food safety focuses on unintentional. Food fraud is actually intentional, and it's for economic gain. So food fraud also differs from food safety since the types of adulterations are unconventional and may only become known once encountered. So there's quite a difference between the two. It is really about motivation versus just natural oversight. So who would really be doing this? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so just let's let's focus first on the types of food fraud. They're very high level. Um, we talked about adulteration tampering. If everybody remembers uh, some of the uh, back way back when the Tylenol scare. And there was tampering with the uh, Tylenol itself, and that was an extortion type of thing. Uh, there's overrun, there's theft, diversion, simulation, and counterfeiting are, are the types of food fraud. Um, but further to your point there, the attacker, but the food world has defined what's called the attacker profile. Like who are these people, as you said? Uh, what is their motivation, and, and how do you define it? So there's a number of them, including... Number one, the extortionist. Uh, they're looking to get financial gain from an attack, uh, but typically an extortionist does not want to get caught. They, so they concentrate on avoiding being caught or avoiding detection and looking for financial gain, right? So these are your traditional um, scenario, again, with Tylenol, where I've, I've contaminated a can or a bottle, and uh, you send me some money, and then I'll stop. The opportunist is typically an internal risk taker and will take and justify an opportunity. For example, adding chicken and pork sausage would still be meat. And they somehow justify this to themselves internally, that this is okay. Um, The extremist, uh, dedication to their cause has no limits. They want to cause harm and likely to enjoy uh, the publicity after the event. These are are other types of uh, attacker profiles. 
There's the irrational individual. They have real no, really no motivation for their actions, may only have a clinical diagnosed health issues. So we hear about them all the time where there was no motive, um, just perceived to, that this would uh, get them some visibility or, or whatever it might be, but they take some drastic actions for no apparent reason. And of course, the big one that you'll see a lot in, in organizations is disgruntled individual um, has issues with the company and looks to cause embarrassment or uh, financial loss to the organization. Uh, if they've been treated poorly or harmed or something like that, you can typically see why that would happen. Um, they even define one called the hacktivist. It's a cyber criminal aims to disrupt or steal food sensitive information. So not just the food itself, but you know, you can now start to look at the ingredients and, and key components of food. And then, of course, there's the professional criminal, and that's dealing more with organized crime for financial gain. I think that that's a whole other side to this that a lot of people don't really see. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, if you look at it, the controls, and that's why the management system standards that Intertech offers are uh, so important. If you can manage it from internally within the organization using your management system standards, a lot of this could be prevented uh, or at least contained and managed if it does escape and you've got a system to control it. But uh, I think the challenge we'll, all ha we'll always have is that, um, you know, with globalization, consolidation of manufacturing, urbanization, and other large-scale trends um, provide insight to why food fraud is growing. You know, take globalization, for example, requires more diverse and longer food supply chains to meet demands. And when you have these challenges and demands, sometimes uh, for, for people to keep up, uh, sometimes corners are cut. Uh, and these types of fraudulent activities are taken only to meet and uh, achieve their, their objectives. There's a lot of pressure on companies to perform um, certainly financially on a, on a regular basis. And when those pressures exist, especially in the food world, uh, you can start to see why there's a lot of this activity starting to happen. Thank you, David. That was very, very educational. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Assurance in Action. If you would like to learn more about Intertech's food services, please visit intertech.com food. Please remember to subscribe to stay up to date on all Assurance in Action episodes. Thanks again, and have a great rest of your day.